Warning, the following presentation is rated R for Reformed. All theological content will be accompanied by the five solas, strong and explicit Calvinistic language, persuasive argumentation, and repeated references to sovereignty. This episode may be dangerous for your Arminian friends and family. You have been warned. Alrighty, friends and uh, family and brothers and sisters in Christ uh, out there in the land of the internets, uh, welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Uh, I am your host, Jason Mullet, and uh, as the warning at the beginning of the episode indicated, uh, <coughs> no Arminians have been harmed in the creation of this episode, so you can calm down about that. Um, if you want to check out our website, uh, you can visit us at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can also watch these podcasts on YouTube. Uh, you can subscribe to our channel there. Uh, we do have also a Twitter account, which is uh, growing. And uh, you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can like our page on uh, Facebook. Uh, you can also drop me a message either via Facebook uh, uh, Twitter, or you can just uh, send me an email uh, at jason at logicalbelief.org. Um, do be aware, however, if you do send me an email, uh, you are giving me permission to read it on the air. So just send me, if you have any words of encouragement or any questions, uh, you can go ahead and send me a message. Alrighty, well, as... Uh, uh, promised in the last episode, and we are continuing our series on the doctrines of grace. And the reason I started off with the sovereignty of God in this discussion is because monergism and the doctrines of grace um, are a God-centered uh, theology. It's a theology that begins with God. And so that's why for me it's important, it's very important that we start uh, when we begin this discussion is that we start with, with God, his attributes, um, his right to create, his creative decree, um, his uh, prescriptive will uh, for what we ought to do, and um, so that we can we can understand God's purposes and his right to do as he pleases and to accomplish everything that he purposes. Because this is about God. This is not about us. This is about God. Uh, all of creation is about God. It's it's not about us. And um, so we need to get that into a correct perspective so that we can understand our own position within um, God's economy. And so... Uh, often, uh, the discussions on the doctrines of grace do begin with total depravity, uh, which is looking at man himself. And so that is why um, I think uh, and I believe that it's important that we begin with God instead. But uh, today, in continuing with the topic, we are going to look at total depravity today, or as I would uh, a better term in my position uh, or my opinion would be um, total inability. I think is a better way of saying it. Uh, total depravity, we'll talk about um, 
what that means here. Actually, I've, I've written a definition for this on um, my website on the article entitled, Is Calvinism Biblical? If you want to go ahead and check that out, you can read the different uh, basically definitions and clarifications for what we mean uh, as monergists when we talk about uh, things like total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. So I'll just go ahead and read uh, the definition um, that I had that I wrote here for total depravity uh, before we get started here. So what I wrote here is this doctrine does not mean that man is as wicked as he could possibly be. It means that sin has affected every aspect of his being, his mind, his body, and spirit. It also means that man is completely unable to please God, and he can do nothing meritorious to God. It means that man is dead spiritually and unable to bring himself to life. He is a slave to sin and unable to free himself. So that is the biblical doctrine of man's uh, sin, his, uh, his depravity, and his inability before God. And for us to understand this biblical doctrine, we must first understand um, how did we get to this place and understand a few things in Scripture about uh, uh, federal headship, about uh, the imputation of both sin and righteousness. And once we understand these biblical doctrines, um, you will begin to see the beautiful symmetry and the beautiful consistency there is in Scripture when it comes to soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. So, uh, for those of you, by the way, that are listening to this episode uh, and you didn't listen to the prior one, I would really encourage you, before you continue to listen to this episode, that you go and listen to the prior one. Um, because if you're not familiar with some of these some of these theological terms that I, I'm throwing out there, I did go through and I did define them in the first episode. And also, as I mentioned before, it's very important for us to begin with a discussion about God when we discuss this particular topic. So I would really encourage you to go listen to that before you continue to listen to this episode if you happen to uh, to jump in. So uh, as I... As I I've I've been uh, I'll clarify some terms here as, as we go along, but I've been using the term monergism. Monergism is the belief that there is one force that brings about salvation in an individual. Uh, synergism is the term for uh, the belief that the cooperation of two forces and two wills are required to bring about salvation in an individual. And uh, you may also hear me use the term uh, semi-Pelagian or Pelagianism. Um, uh, Pelagianism uh, comes from uh, the 4th century. Augustine uh, contended with a British monk by the name of Pelagius who taught uh, exactly the opposite of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. We're going to talk about first original sin. Pelagius uh, did not 
believed there was such a thing as original sin. Uh, that man was was born neutral with the ability to do that which was pleasing to God. Um, uh, he was completely capable in and of himself uh, to um, to be good enough to uh, uh, merit uh, salvation and merit heaven. And so uh, that's full blown what we call full blown Pelagianism. Uh, Semi Pelagians uh, Pelagianism. Uh, which uh, uh, would fall in the category of most synergists. Most synergists would be uh, semi-Pelagians. Most Arminians, uh, and praise God, would deny uh, that they are semi-Pelagians. I would contend that they really are. But praise God, many of them are inconsistent. And uh, and I, I talked about that also in my first episode. So if you want to see what my stance is on Arminianism, just listen to the first episode. There's no reason for me to repeat all of that. Um, so semi-Pelagianism is the is the still they, they would hold that there is uh, original sin and that it affected man uh, at least to some degree. Uh, it didn't totally disable him uh, when it comes to his relationship with God. He's not completely dead in sin. He's more you know kind of sick, kind of beat up a little bit. You know he need, he needs some help. Um, that would be more the semi-Pelagian view, which would be more consistent with, uh, like, Roman Catholicism would be uh, semi-Pelagian. I would not even classify Roman Catholicism itself, even though I believe it's an absolute uh, aberrant uh, religious system, and it's not Christian. But um, uh, Roman Catholicism would not be uh, would not be full-blown Pelagianism. It would be semi-Pelagian because they do believe in original sin. So, let's um, let's jump into the topic here, and let's just talk about let's talk about original sin. Um, so, if we're going to talk about original sin, we have to go back to creation. We have to go back to uh, the time in the Garden of Eden after God had created. It says in Genesis two verse sixteen <coughs> that um, God had commanded Adam after his creation. Uh, this is in Genesis 2, verse 16 to 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, I uh, have come to a better understanding of this particular verse and many Arminians um, will be inconsistent with what uh, happened here. What they will say, and what a lot of people will say, and what I even used to believe, was that this is, you know, God saying that we would die if if um, we ate of the tree physically. We'd have physical death. But if we look at what God actually told Adam here, he actually told Adam that if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So did Adam physically die the day that he ate? Did Adam and Eve, did they both physically die the day they ate of it? No, they did not. But they became spiritually dead. And that is what we're talking about with total depravity or total inability is that we are spiritually dead 
we we don't have a relationship with God. We we are dead spiritually. There's the relationship with God is just as much as our relationship can be with a cadaver. Um that that's that's the, the way it is. Uh so that's why the Bible uses this because that is actually our state in our fallen nature. And then it says if we go on in Genesis uh, Genesis chapter five verse one is the um, is the Genesis genealogies, and it says in Genesis five, beginning at verse one, it says this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So Adam was created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. So both male and female are in the image of God. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So if we see here, even in Genesis 5, in the genealogies, it's making a distinction between Adam created in the in the in perfection uh, for example also in Ecclesiastes it says the Lord created man upright but he has uh, fallen into many schemes <clears throat> so God created Adam upright and perfect and good um, however he gave him um, a will that was not in bondage to sin and he could choose that which um, was both pleasing and not pleasing to God. And so when Adam chose that which was not pleasing to God, he became dead spiritually. And his him being the image bearer of God, um, many of those aspects uh, became damaged and became enslaved to sin. Uh, are we still image bearers of God? Yes, there are many of God's communicable attributes that we still carry, but we corrupt all of them. Um, and let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, there are uh, the attributes of God can be uh, broken into two categories. We have God's incommunicable attributes and his communicable attributes. Um his uh, incommunicable attributes, those that he cannot give to us as his creatures, and those that he can are, give to us as his creatures are his communicable attributes. His incommunicable view, like his omnipotence. Uh, we are not omnipotent. Uh, his omniscience. We are not omniscient. Uh, we, are, we don't have aseity. Um we uh, aseity is God's non-contingency, his his ability to self-exist, to exist outside of any dependence upon anything outside of himself. We as creatures are wholly dependent upon God for absolutely everything, including our own will. Our own will and nature is created by God. We are not independent of God in any way. So... Um, the communicable attributes of God are, uh, for example, we're moral beings. We make moral choices. 
Uh, that's a communicable attribute. Our ability to reason and use logic and to and to uh, think, uh, sentient beings, we have emotions. Um, these are all attributes that are uh, a part of God, and he has communicated to them as us who are his image bearers. Uh, for example, our ability to love and to be in a relationship with, with others. Uh, that it, those are all communicable attributes. Uh, God um, is eternally in relationship with uh, the three members of the triune God are in relationship with one another for eternity and since eternity passed. And um, they've demonstrated uh, love for one another from eternity. And so those attributes have been communicated to us, but however, those as a result of sin are all broken and fallen. Our relationships are no longer perfect. Uh, we don't love perfectly. Um, we don't um, have control, perfect control of our emotions. Uh, our thinking and our reasoning, our noetic um, abilities are marred by sin, um, damaged by sin. So this is the reason why uh, uh, we cannot always think clearly and we believe things that are irrational or illogical. I was recently talking with uh, uh, the pastor um, of our church, and uh, we were just talking about how in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 2.14, it says the natural man um, cannot understand uh, the things of God because they are spiritually uh, discerned. Let's see here. I actually have this verse here. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, so they're just foolishness to him. And uh, he is not able to understand them um, because they are spiritually discerned. So I was talking to him about how prior to God saving me and regenerating my heart, I had... I didn't have an ability to understand the Word of God. Um, I would, I would read Scripture, and, for example, you know, even the simple verse like John three sixteen it says the believing ones would never perish, but I actually believed that a believing one could perish. Uh, it is God who has to enlighten our minds and help us to see what Scripture says. Uh, it, it plainly says it. But our pride and um, our fallen nature gets in the way. And we, um, we don't have an ability to accept it. Y even though it's very plain, we don't have an ability to accept it because we will just deny it uh, because it doesn't fit our presuppositions. So, <clears throat> so we see here, jumping back to Genesis 5.1, after we get off that rabbit trail there, that um, that uh, Seth uh, was in the likeness of Adam and after his image. So that fallen image that had happened there in Genesis chapter 3 when, when man fell into sin and uh, in rebellion against God, uh, their posterity and those who came after them um, are also born in sin. And we can actually see this... Uh, Further on in Scripture, 
For example, in Psalm 51.5, and this is a beautiful psalm uh, where David is pouring out his penitence, his, his, uh, his uh, praying to God for forgiveness uh, for his, his both killing of, uh, murdering of Uriah and um, his adultery with Bathsheba. And so this is the psalm that he wrote after that. And he says in verse 5, David says, of Psalm 51, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we can see here that that David was um, admitting that he was sinful from conception. Uh, we also see in Psalm 58, verse 3, it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. So, any of you that have had children, you know that you didn't have to teach them to lie. You didn't have to teach them to be disobedient and rebellious. Oh yeah, they're 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 quite natural at uh, at doing that completely on their own. Uh, I didn't require for my four year old. Uh, there was no necessity for me to teach him these things. Uh, he was he was well capable of performing those on his own. And it was uh, amazing at how early of an age he was already um, being rebellious at times. So in uh, Jeremiah 13, verse 23, <clears throat> the prophet Jeremiah is asking a rhetorical question here. It says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Well, the answer to that is obviously no. They were born with those spots and with the color of their skin. Then also can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil? So we can see that our uh, uh, um, ability to do good is restrained by the very nature that we are born in. We've all fallen in Adam. Uh, we've all been... Uh, become dead spiritually within our federal head, Adam. In Ephesians 2, verse 3, it says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'm actually just going to go ahead and turn to that passage. I just have this verse here, but I want to just read... Um, I want to read the, uh, let's turn to it here, uh, there we go, in Ephesians chapter 2, let's actually verse, read at, from verse 1 down to verse 3. So we can see here in Ephesians chapter one, verse uh, 2, verses 1 through 3, this was, is, is our state before God saves us. So it says here, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. So there, here, here's the deadness that we have in sin. Just as we talked about, remember, Adam died the day that he ate of the fruit. And it says, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we are by nature children of wrath were born with that nature we inherited this from our father adam 
and we are in the image and likeness of him unless of course and we'll go here to romans 5 the good news um, and we can even see here in ephesians 2 verse 4 i just love these next two words so we just read about our depravity our fallen nature that we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy so the thing that distinguishes if we are in christ and if we are saved the thing that distinguish uh, distinguishes us from the rest of mankind is an act of god but god it is god who performs the monergistic act of regenerating a person who is dead spiritually and does not have the ability or any of the desire within his own heart to come to God. God is the one who performs the act of salvation. So if we want to see a theological discourse in the New Testament about um, our fallen nature, um, how we inherited that from our federal head, Adam, and also and how his sin was imputed to all of his posterity, and then see that contrasted with Jesus Christ, who is the second Adam, who um, in the same way is our federal head as Christians, and he has imputed his righteousness instead of his sin, instead of Adam's sin, the way Adam did. Instead, he has imputed his righteousness to us. And so the thing that I... Uh, often get from those who uh, don't want to believe the doctrines of grace is their objection will sometimes be, well, they don't think it's fair that we are imputed uh, given the sin of Ad the, the sin of Adam um, has been imputed to us. And <clears throat> the uh, several questions for that objection is if you object to that, if you don't think that's fair, then you can't believe it's fair that Christ has imputed his righteousness to us either. Because if you don't like one imputation, the imputation of sin, then you can't, you can't uh, say the imputation of Christ's righteousness is all right. Um, the, the thing is, if we were in Adam's position, we would have fallen just like he would have. And so we are both... Uh, sinners by nature and also uh, by choice we desire to sin so we've we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God um, and we also uh, have inherited a sin nature from our father so we're not um, we're not sinners because we sin we sin because we are sinners so let's go to Romans chapter 5 and let's read Paul's discourse on uh, the first Adam and the second Adam. This is in verses 12 of Romans chapter 5 down to verse 21. It says, um, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all man. And once again, this is speaking about uh, in this case here is talking about uh, spiritual death it, it would also we do also die physically because of the separation from God and for the uh, God's curse upon 
the earth. So we, we do eventually die physically also. Um, but death here is, is the spiritual death that has spread to all men. So let's read that again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. And what Paul means here by all men, he's speaking of both Jews and Gentiles. As you read through the book of Romans, um, prior here to chapter 5, we see Paul making an argument that of the universality of, the, of, of man's rebellion against God and man's sinfulness. And, uh, and Paul makes that argument from chapter 1 of Romans where he talks about how men, even though they don't have the law, they have it written upon their heart, they know um, God's righteous decree, uh, his, uh, they know his eternal power and divine nature, they're clearly seen uh, via creation. We then see him going... Uh, and dealing with the Jews and how, though that they are given uh, the law, um, they are condemned by that law due to their inability to um, to actually meet up with that standard. And how those who aren't given the law, the Gentiles, are, are also bound by God's moral law, which is written upon their heart. And so... The entire discourse of Romans uh, and Paul in Romans up to chapter five is is he's contrasting the two groups, Jews, who think that because of their heritage of their um, them being the the offspring of Abraham, that that somehow, you know, gets them in. That's their ticket. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. You're just as sinful you are just as separated from God as those Gentiles who you believe are. And you Gentiles, you don't have an excuse either because the law of God is written upon your heart. And uh, you know those who practice such things against the decree of God um, will be judged by God. So the entire context, so when Paul says all men here in Romans 5, he's referring to the two categories, both Jews and Gentiles. So death has spread to all men, both Jews and Gentiles, because all have sinned. Uh, for, then going to verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So we see the law given by God at Mount Sinai, but sin existed before that, before the law was given. Uh, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And so so we see that sin is counted before the law was given. So there is a law. There is a law that is written upon all men's hearts that they are accountable to. It says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Notice how there was still death before um, Moses from Adam, from his fall. And until Moses, which was when the law was given, and death reigned, uh, even though there was the law had not been given, even over those who were sinning uh, was not like the transgression of Adam. So they didn't perform the same sin as Adam did, which God had given Adam a commandment and they weren't committing that sin, but they were still sinning, who is a type of the one to come. See, for example, here we see that um, Adam was a type, 
of the one who was to come, which is Jesus Christ. It says here, but the free gift is not like the trespass. So the free gift um, of the righteousness of Christ is not like the trespass of Adam. There is a difference. And he goes on to explain that. For if many died through one man's uh, trespass, notice here, many died through one man's trespass. He's making a distinction here between two groups. How much more have the grace of God and the free gift, the righteous, which is the righteousness of Christ, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many? So we see here in verse 15 that there is two groups. There is a group that have died in Adam, many who have died in Adam, and there is another group of many who have, by the grace of God, been given the free gift of Christ's righteousness. So one only has the trespass of Adam. The other group has the free gift, the righteousness by God's grace of Christ. And there's these two distinct groups here. Now, there's no one outside of these groups. You're either in one group or the other group. Jesus said that you're either with me or you're against me. You either gather with me or you scatter. So there is no third group of some neutral type human beings that this does not apply to. You're either in Christ, you're either in Adam, or you are in Christ. That's it. There's no other option. Um, so it goes on here in verse 16. It says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, speaking of Adam's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So the free gift doesn't bring condemnation, but the one man's sin, Adam's sin, that one trespass against God brought condemnation to all men, uh, both Jews and Gentiles. But the free gift followed many trespasses, brought justification. So there was one man's trespass, Adam's, who brought condemnation to all men. And since Adam to Moses and Moses to Christ, there have been many trespasses, but the free gift followed these many trespasses, for we've all sinned and actually trespassed against God ourselves, um, not just Adam's sin, brought justification. We're now justified. Many are now justified in Christ. For if because of one man's trespass, de death reigned through one man, and it has, death has reigned from the time of Adam because of his sin, death has reigned, um, on this earth, both spiritual death and physical death, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So we once again see the distinction of the groups. Here we see because of one man's trespass, death reigned. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So we see the distinction again. We see those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, both Jews and Gentiles, once again, Paul is using the term all men here to refer to both Jews and Gentiles. So 
Condemnation came to Jews too, not just Gentiles. Um, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life also for all men. Um, justification and life is brought to both Jews and Gentiles. It wasn't exclusively brought for the Jews. It was also brought to the Gentiles. Um, for as by one man's obedience were the many, the many were made sinners. Uh, for, for by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. This is Adam. So by one man's obedience, now this is the opposite, the free gift is not like the trespass, for by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So by the obedience of Christ, we are made righteous. Um, Christ actually accomplished that with his obedient life and his, his work on the cross. He actually made us righteous. Um, it says... One man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So a particular people are made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, um, grace abounded all the more. So when God gave the law, it, it demonstrated how exceedingly sinful we really were. But where our sin increased because of the presence of the law, Grace abounds all the more for those who are in Christ. Uh, Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, it says uh, in Romans 8 also, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So for those of us who are in Christ, those who believe and trust in Christ, God's grace abounds to them. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we notice the grace of God that brings us righteousness and that brings us justification leads us to eternal life. We have eternal life. Uh, John 3.16, that all the believing ones will have eternal life. And they will not perish. So, so those who believe and trust in Christ actually have eternal life. They will not perish. Uh, John 6, uh, Jesus says that I, I lose none of all that the Father has given to me. He doesn't lose any of them. None of them will perish. None, none of them um, will he lose. <clears throat> so that is... Uh, the doctrine of original sin and uh, the imputation of uh, Christ's righteousness to those who believe and the imputation of Adam's trespass and sinfulness to those who don't believe. And that's the distinction between the two groups. Um, let's also look next at man's deadness in sin and enslavement to sin. The Bible is replete with verses that speak about this. In Ephesians 2 verse 1 it says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. In Ephesians 2 verse 5 it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. In Romans 8 verse 10 uh, it says, the body is dead because of sin. 
Um, Colossians 2, verse 13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Um, the Bible also speaks about our enslavement to sin. Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Slaves need to be set free. They can't set themselves free. They have to be set free. Dead people can't bring themselves to life. They have to be brought to life. Um, Lazarus didn't provide any assistance to Christ when Christ uh, commanded him to come from that grave and brought him to life. You know, I mean, Lazarus wasn't in there going, eh, well, I see this offer of life, you know, um, I have to make a choice here. Um, no, I, I reject that. I, I don't want to come to life. No, when Jesus commands, when the eternal Son of God commands a dead sinner to come to life, he actually comes to life. When he sets a slave to sin free, that slave to sin is actually free. Um, he sets us free. Um, in Titus verse uh, chapter 3, verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Second uh, Peter 2.19, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Um, in Isaiah um, 64, uh, 6, it says, uh, for we are, we have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. Uh, if you actually look into the Hebrew of, of the words there for polluted garment, it actually means menstrual rags. Uh, rags used for cleaning up the menstrual cycle. That is what our righteous deeds are like to God. There, there's nothing that we can do that is meritorious to God enough so that he can save us. Uh, it has to be a monergistic act of God. Uh, Genesis 8.21 says, And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. This is after the flood, and Noah was offering a sacrifice. Um, and it says, I will never again curse the ground because of men, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. In uh, Micah 7, verse 2, it says, The godly has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are, are on what is evil to do well, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. The great man uttered the evil desires of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them is a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. So we see the universality of man's sinfulness and how there's no one upright among man. And even the best of them is a briar and a thorn hedge. Uh, in Mark uh, 7, verse 21, it says, From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. In Romans 3, verse 10, 
uh, Paul uh, is quoting from multiple sources in the Old Testament. He quotes from the passage that we just read in Micah. He's quoting from Psalm 14 and several other places. And he writes here, in, beginning in Romans 3, verse 10, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And even jumping down to verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So if your anthropology, if your anthropology is uh, the study of uh, human beings, if your anthropology is includes um, that human beings do seek after the God of the Bible and that they can understand spiritual things uh, and that they can make a decision on their own uh to come to God, then you don't have a biblical anthropology. You don't have a biblical understanding of the state of fallen man and sin. Uh, the Bible is abundantly clear on this. Um, the next section I want to go to is what Scripture says about man's abilities. Um, uh, man does not have libertarian free will. He does not have the ability to do that which is both equally that which is both pleasing to God and not pleasing to God. He is a slave to sin. He can only do that which is displeasing to God unless God sets him free uh, from his bondage. Um, the Bible um, makes these distinctions, and Jesus does this in John chapter 3. He says in verse 6, it says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. We see this distinction made through the entire New Testament. Um, and so I just want to uh, kind of set that as a foundation here before we go on to a lot of these verses that speak about the uh, inability of man and what he cannot and does not do and uh, the cannots of Scripture and the does nots of Scripture. So in First uh, Corinthians two fourteen, which I already read, it says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So once again, here we see that the natural person does not accept it. They're absolutely foolishness to him. And if any of you guys have ever gone out and given the gospel to unbelievers, um. Unless God's grace shines upon a person, the gospel is just foolishness to people. They, they don't see any reason for why uh, they should be saved. They're just like um, in John chapter 8, if I got the chapter right, where the Pharisees, when Jesus told them they were slaves to sin, we haven't, been, we haven't been enslaved to any man. What are you talking about? You know, uh, Which was actually laughable because they were actually under the bondage of the Roman Empire. But Jesus was specifically speaking about their enslavement to sin. And they're like, you know, we, what are you talking about? We've never been enslaved to anyone. Uh, they, were, they took offense to Jesus saying that they were slaves. And the natural man does that. The natural man will not accept that he is a slave of sin unless God opens his eyes for him to accept those spiritual things. Um, in John 3, verse 20, it says... 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. So if you're in the flesh, if a person is in the flesh, you won't come to the light of the gospel. You won't come to the righteousness of Christ. Because your wicked, your, your wicked deeds will be exposed. So it says, does not come to the light. Has, has no desire or willingness to come to the light at all. In John 6, 63, um, Jesus tells us here uh, about, uh, he's talking about spiritual life here and, and, and coming to Christ in faith and repentance. It says in John 6, 63, um, it is the spirit who gives life. And then he says this, the flesh is no help at all. Not at all. The flesh does not help at all. So if you are only in the flesh, your spiritual life, if you ha- if you if uh, God brings you to spiritual life, your flesh was no help whatsoever with that act. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In Romans eight verse seven, um, I recently had somebody tell me that uh, this didn't apply to them. Um, but once again, we see the biblical categories, you're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. So in Romans 8, verse 7, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So once again, if your anthropology includes man's ability to submit to God's law and to repent and trust in Christ, which are commands of God, if your anthropology includes that, that man has the ability to do that, then you just once again don't have a biblical anthropology. The Bible says that those who are in the flesh are hostile to God. They don't have any desire to come to God, and they cannot please God. And um, I'm often... uh, I use this verse actually quite often in, in discussing the doctrines of grace with people. And they'll often say, well, you know, we have to choose God. Well, you know, does choosing God please God? Is that pleasing to God? Well, yeah, okay. Well, then those who are in the flesh can't do that. The only way that we can choose to believe in God and humble ourselves, they'll say, well, you have to humble yourself. Okay, well, that's true. We do humble ourselves when we come to salvation. But do we humble ourselves when we're only in the flesh? Or does the Spirit of God have to bring us to life so that we can recognize our sin and humble ourselves to God? So, well, we have to humble ourselves. Okay, well, is humbling pleasing to God? Well, yeah, okay. Well, then those who are in the flesh can't do that. Um, Romans 8, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands uh, they have all turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. John six forty four. No one can, once again, the inability of man. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. So notice here that no one has the ability to come to Christ. Unless the Father draws him. The Father has to draw someone 
for them to come over this universal inability. They have to be drawn by the Father, but also notice the remainder of the verse. Those who are drawn by the Father are raised up by the Son on the last day. There is no distinction here. There isn't a group that are drawn, and then Christ raises some of those who are drawn on the last day. No, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The one who is drawn is raised up. In John six sixty five, <clears throat> and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So the inability of man to come to God outside of it being granted to him by God. In John ten twenty six, But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. He was speaking to the Pharisees here, and he was explaining to them the reason why they did not believe in him. And he said that you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Um, I've quoted this verse um, quite often uh, to people, and typically they will just uh, completely flip it around. They will say, well, uh, they weren't his sheep because they didn't believe. No, you just turn Jesus' words 180 degrees on its head. Jesus was telling the Pharisees that they do not believe because they are not among his sheep. In Matthew 7:18, it says, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So a diseased tree has no ability to bear the fruit um, of repentance, of faith. Um, these are once again fruit. Uh, of the Spirit of God, if you read Galatians chapter 5, I believe, um, is the fruit of the Spirit. These are fruit of the Spirit. We cannot produce those fruits. Uh, we're either You're either a diseased tree or you're a healthy tree. Two categories, once again, in the flesh or in the Spirit. Uh, in Matthew 7, 19, uh, this is just the very next verse, um, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Um, I already read this verse, Jeremiah 13, uh, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? How also can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil? In John 3, verse 3, Jesus answered him. He's speaking to <coughs> um, uh, Nicodemus uh, who came to him. And he said, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We have to be born again to come over this, to overcome this inability. Um, and to be born again is an act of the Spirit of God. In John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Um, in John three twenty seven, Jesus answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. So the only way that we can receive the things of God is if it's granted to us, if it's given to us from heaven. Uh, John eight forty three. why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. He explains once again, to the, he's speaking to the Pharisees here in John eight forty three, that the reason that they cannot understand 
is because they they cannot hear his word. They don't have the ability um, to hear his word. In John fifteen four, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Once again, we see here of our inability to bear fruit pleasing to God outside of abiding in the vine. We have to be abiding in Christ. We have to be in Christ in order to bear the fruit um, that is pleasing to God. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So once again here we see the inability of those who are in the flesh or only in the flesh that are not spiritually alive. Their complete inability uh, to um, inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.3 Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can confess Jesus as Lord is by the Holy Spirit of God. So if you find yourself today, um, friends out there, if you find yourself saying, Jesus is Lord of my life, I will submit to him. Fall on your knees today. Thank God for saving you. Thank God for transferring you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. It was a work of God. You were unable in your sinful nature and your fallen nature to come to God. The cannots and the will nots of scripture applied to me and applied to you. And that was our state. We were enslaved to sin. We were dead to sin. And if we are believing and trusting in Christ, it was because of a work of God. Um, and that is why we stand and we submit to Christ as Lord uh, today is because of his grace. So that was the uh, topic of uh, total depravity. I hope that was helpful to you and hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I would encourage you to, uh, to study these things on your own. If you want to... Um, look at a lot of the different scripture that I use today, uh, you can go to my article on the website, Is Calvinism Biblical? And you can uh, go to the section of total depravity, and many of the scriptures that I used are in that list. I don't think they're all there, but uh, but many of them are there. So I would encourage you to, to study and uh, look into these things on your own. See if they are true. Be Bereans. Uh, study the scriptures, search them daily. Um, they are life. The word of God brings life to dead sinners through the spirit of God. Thank you guys for uh, joining me today. Uh, join us next week and uh, we will continue through this series and we'll look into unconditional election. Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom.